Violet smooths the crimson quilt across the bed and draws the curtains, banishing the last of the light. It is gone six. The sun is already slipping behind the hills, cloaking the valley in darkness. Her employers will be home at any moment, and then Violet will retreat to the staff quarters to eat supper with Matthias, her younger brother. Matthias is the night guard, like Violet. He has worked at the house for some 12 years. It belongs to a South African company for use by its overseas staff in Nairobi. So tenants come and go. But Violet and Matthias remain custodians of the house, its history, its secrets. The arrangement works well. Tenants relieved of the burden of locating domestic staff. Violet and Matthias grateful for the certainty of continued employment. Hundreds of miles away in Western Province, their family depends on them utterly for their survival. Violet slips off her shoes and sits on the bed. As always, in quiet moments like these, her thoughts turn to her son, Daniel. He is seven now and lives with his grandparents. Violet sees her son three times a year at most, but what can she do? There are no jobs back home, and the school fees have to be found somehow. She and Matthias, like thousands of others, are in Nairobi not from choice, but necessity. At the sound of the padlock clunking at the gate, she pushes her feet into her shoes, straightens the collar of her uniform and hurries through to the hallway. Good evening, Mr. Joe, Mrs. Sally. Joe sweeps past her wordlessly. She catches the whiff of alcohol. Early, even for him. Good evening, Violet, Sally says. How was your day? Very fine, thank you, madam. She slips away to the kitchen. There has been a row. She knows the signs, the sour atmosphere, the strain in Sally's voice. Sally does not follow Joe into the bedroom to change, but hangs back in the kitchen. What's for supper tonight? Chicken, Violet responds. I should make the rice before I go. But she is already reaching for the saucepan, because on evenings like these, the answer is always the same. Sally, delaying for as long as possible the moment when she and Joe will be alone. Padlocks snap shut on the front door, alarm activated, the dogs loose in the compound. Standard precautions in Nairobi, particularly for houses bordering open farmland. But Violet knows Sally feels anything but safe. She has witnessed Joe's drunken rages, glimpsed the bruises on Sally's arms, 
Joe is so much older than Sally. An ex-wife and four children back in Zimbabwe, apparently. Now, girlfriends in Nairobi. Violet recoils when Joe runs his thumb casually along her wrist as he hands over her wages or slaps her backside with a leering grin as she does the dishes. Thankfully, not all employers are like him. Some. But he is the worst, yet. He is in the living room, the clink of glass on glass. He has started on the whiskey. Go, Sally whispers. You must be tired. If you are sure, madam. Reluctantly, she crosses the yard when Matthias is feeding the dogs. He's drinking again, she sighs. She heats a pan of ugali and sukuma wiki on the small gas stove and the two eat in subdued silence. Finally, Matthias pulls on his overcoat and readies the dogs for the first patrol of the night. Violet listens to the radio for a while, but her eyelids soon grow heavy and she retires to her room, falling into a deep sleep. Much later, she's jolted awake. The dogs are barking. She blinks into the darkness, checks her phone. A little after two, what? Matthias is pounding on her door. Violet, Kuja, come! Heart racing, she pulls on a sweater and throws back the bolt. As the door swings open, she's greeted by an unearthly wailing. Together they race across the yard. Violet hammers on the kitchen door. Mama Sally, please open. Mama Sally. The wailing stops. A muffled sob. A key turning. Sally. A cut to her forehead. Her cheek, swollen and bruised. They follow her in. He is sprawled on the living room floor. Blood from a head wound pooling around him. Sally is hysterical. He was drinking, so I went to bed and I got up to get some water and he was still drinking, so I asked him to stop and he punched me and I pushed him away and he fell. The coffee table. Inch thick glass. Those sharp corners. He was drunk. He would have fallen hard. It's okay, Mama, it's okay, Violet says. She knows already it isn't. Matthias feels for a pulse. Amigufa. He is dead. Sally is sobbing. Oh my God, he can't be. This can't be happening. Please, Mama, sit down. We have to call the police. No, but he's, he's, no, Mama. If we call the police, they will arrest you. Please, you must listen. Sally is from Zimbabwe. Things are not so different there. Surely she will see sense. Violet knows in reality all three of them will likely be arrested. Domestic staff routinely scooped up for the most minor infraction. But this? No one will believe it was an accident. They'll be thrown into the cells and left to rot. The jails are brutal. Violet has heard the stories. The filth. The starvation. The beatings. And worse. Sally's family will doubtless come to her rescue. Pay whatever is asked of them. But will they rescue her and Matthias? There's no telling. Violet's family cannot pay. She and Matthias will disappear into the system. 
parents, their children, the entire family or staff. No, she cannot let this happen. Mama Sally, you have to trust me, please. Sally nods. Violet leads her away to the bedroom. She will have to take charge now. They must get rid of the body and they must do it before dawn. They have just under four hours. She races to her room, grabs her phone. Florence, their cousin, is a senior warden at Nairobi National Park, just ten miles away. She will be on night duty in a Land Rover. Florence's family, she will help them. Violet makes the call, rattles out a brief explanation, then bring the kinim from the study and towels, she instructs Matthias. She removes Joe's watch, his belt. Together, they roll the body into the kinim, clean up the blood. There must be nothing left. When we go, you get rid of the car, she tells Matthias. This won't be difficult. Car theft is a big business in Nairobi. Matthias will track down a dealer. By dawn, the car will be gone. By noon, resprayed, the number plates exchanged, and it will be on its way out of the city. She collects Joe's laptop. His phone, wallet, passport, all must be destroyed. Finally, they are ready. Now, they wait. Sally emerges from the bedroom, red-eyed. They sit in grim vigil. A gecko patters up the wall and stops abruptly, as if astonished to find them there. A little after three, the Land Rover rolls silently into the compound. Joe's body is hauled unceremoniously into the back of the vehicle. Soon, three women are speeding through the deserted streets and into the city, past the sprawling slums of the Kibera and away towards Langata and the gates of the National Park. The gatekeeper will wonder at three women entering the park in the dead of the night, but he knows better than to challenge a senior warden in a marked vehicle. The jeep plunges into the inky blackness, swaying and jerking along the rutted Murram track, headlights scanning the scrubland chaotically. Florence is leading them to a spot far from any tourist trail. It would be tempting to head for the lion territory, but where there are lions, there will soon be tourists. They press on for almost an hour until finally Florence swerves abruptly off the track, the jeep's headlights leaching a path into the long grass. She stops by a clump of acacia trees. This is the place. Florence and Violet drag the body from the jeep. They must act quickly. It is dangerous to be on foot here. They roll away the killum, cut away Joe's clothes. Florence keeps her rifle close. By the time they are finished, it is almost five. Night is already releasing its grip on Nairobi. The first fingers of light steal over the distant Ngong hills. Sally is weeping soundlessly. It won't be long, Florence murmurs. This is her patrol route. She knows this spot well. There are wild dogs here. As the sun climbs higher, the heat will build and they will pick up the scent. Soon the vultures will join them. Silken wings raised aloft in a deadly canopy around the corpse. Florence will see to it that they feast undisturbed. 
keeping watch over the days that follow, until it is time to remove what is left. Joe's remains. The evidence. All will be burned. But not here. It is time to leave. Florence reverses the jeep back onto the track that will lead them out through the gates, back into the city. In a few hours, Joe's workmates will begin wondering why he has not turned up for work. The next day, they will call his wife, who will say he has gone away for a few days. They will chuckle amongst themselves. It is a woman, that Joe, such a lion of a man, such a player. They will tell the boss it is personal business, honour among thieves. They know the drill. But when a week has gone by, Sally herself will call the police, distressed, confused. She has not heard from her husband. This is not like him. Her husband does sometimes go away. She is sure they understand, but never for more than a few days. The police won't take it seriously at first. They have seen it all before. This man is tired of his wife. She herself says his passport is gone. He has taken some pretty thing to Zanzibar, the Seychelles. As time passes, they will realise something doesn't quite add up and they will investigate, conduct interviews, but resources are stretched and they will run out of man-hours long before they run out of theories. Soon, Sally will return to Zimbabwe to the arms of her family and a million I-told-you-sos. After all, her family never liked him, always said the marriage was a huge mistake. Joe's family will question her endlessly, but she is a wife grieving the unexplained disappearance of her husband, and in the end, they will leave her alone, turning their attention instead to the Kenyan police, pressing them for a more thorough investigation. But they will get nowhere. until one day a new assistant police commissioner is appointed. He instructs a review of unsolved cases. Violet and Matthias endure the terror of further interviews. The house and grounds are thoroughly searched, but the police find nothing. Violet, after all, is an excellent housekeeper. Everyone says so. Her cleaning skills are unsurpassed. It's why she stayed in her job for so long. The case will be closed, for good this time. As for the house, it will be rented out again, this time a Malaysian family, children too. One evening, and quite out of the blue, just as Violet is finishing for the day, her new employer will ask her whether the previous tenants were happy before the husband mysteriously disappeared. Oh yes, so happy. Violet will say. Nobody knows what became of him. It was all so strange. And then, as the sun begins its descent behind the hill, she will cross the yard and light the stove to prepare supper for herself and Matthias. The Housekeeper was written by Elaine Miles and read by Gloria Onituri. Studio production was by Mark Lingwood. It was brought to you by Tempest Productions.
And now a word from our sponsor, which is us, Tempest Productions. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to help us make more, then why not buy us a coffee via Kofi? That's ko-fi.com forward slash Tempest Productions. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Tempest Productions. Thank you so much for your support.